truly humbled to be here. What a beautiful thing to say. Um, I always said at one time I talked at uh, Sacred Heart Seminary and I followed um, two deacons and I was the third keynote speaker for evangelization. And it was my first time and there were 400 people all sitting at tables and everybody was sitting real stiff and still. And I listened to these two men ahead of me and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, how do I follow that? You know, how am I gonna do that? So when I got up there, I said, you know, you're gonna listen to a nobody from Highland because these people are so important. You don't even know who I am. But I want you to be comfortable and I want you to relax and, and just listen and let the Holy Spirit see what he can tell you and uh, what I can say and be his instrument. Um, when I first um, talked to you, we talked about how evil would not want you to come here and talk about the Eucharist. Well, let me tell you, here I am. My husband went fishing all day. I went off to Holy Spirit to work all afternoon. He came back, went to bed. I came home. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray. This is my time. I'm looking at my notes. And I'm sitting there, and it's now 1030. And my husband walks in and looks at me in his hand is that he broke his wrist. And I'm like, when did this happen? <laughs> at 5.30, I said, well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I thought maybe it was just a sprain and I'd go to sleep and everything would be fine. So I went, hmm, I think we need to go to the hospital. So until like about 12.30 last night, we were at the hospital and so he could get a cast and all that kind of good stuff. And I said, that's okay, Lord, I'm ready. It's all right, the Eucharist. We're going to talk about the Eucharist. So then this morning, I'm ready to cut here, and I get in my car, and I put it in reverse, and it flashes on my dashboard, tire pressure low, tire pressure low. <laughs> it wasn't low yesterday. So I said, okay, Jesus, I'm driving them even if they're flat. You'll take care of it, and uh, we're all going to be okay. And I am grateful to be here to talk about the Eucharist and family. I'm a teacher at heart. so. Um, what I'm gonna share with you, I really need to know that I've explained it to the best of my ability. So um, since I accepted the information, this uh, invitation to do so today, I am uh, gonna give it my best shot. And what I'm gonna share with you, I, I had mentioned has been like 20 some years hidden away. Um, it's a testimony about the Eucharist. Uh, about five years ago, I thought, you know, my RCIA class would needs to hear this. God does not give us miracles and goodness and expect us to just keep it. We're supposed to share that to build up this body of Christ. So I started to tell them a little bit about this and uh, not quite ready to tell everybody. But when you invited me, I thought, you know, this is it, Lord. This is a time to get those um, memories and the goodness out because they're meant to teach. They're not meant to be just something that I hold in my heart. It's for everyone. So early in my career, whatever that means, I would travel around the diocese and talk about evangelization because it's just part of my life. Father, uh, when I first, like 20, 21 years ago, looked around to see who was absolutely on fire and crazy, and I went, I am. So um, he got me involved in this, and I remember saying to him, if you want to remain hidden, you better tell me now because then I won't do what I want to do. But if you are ready to let everyone know Holy Spirit is in Highland, and you don't want to hide, then let me know. 
and we did so much for so many years, 10 years of conferences to teach the people um, what the Eucharist means. Um, so a very, very beautiful journey. And you know how all of us think that we know exactly where we're going to the first time, the first year? Like, oh, I know this is going to happen. The chapel's going to be built or whatever's going to happen. It took 12 years. So it doesn't happen on our timing. It truly happens on the Holy Spirit's timing. So I got this call to talk to a parish in Detroit. And when I um, talked with this woman on the phone, I immediately, when she said, what would you like to talk about? I said, I'll talk about evangelization. She said, all right. We chose the time, the place, the date, and I was all set and I hung up and immediately my spirit was just stirring like, that's not what you want to talk about. And I fought it for two days. And finally I thought to myself, you know, I'm just going to call her and say, at the risk of looking like an idiot, could we change this topic? So I did. She said, no problem. And I changed it to grief. I changed it to grief and the grieving process. And I learned something very, very, very important why I changed it. Because I knew that I could never, ever understand the joy of the spirit, the joy of that spirit, unless I understood the spirit in grief and pain. In other words, I really am not going to understand resurrection unless I really look at Calvary. And I know that that's why I did it. I used to work at a, as a grief counselor over at um, a funeral home. And I believe God put me there too, just so that I knew that this is the pain and the reality of our lives. And how does the Spirit work with us and heal us? When I gave that talk, I was truly, truly, truly amazed at how many people were there. In fact, they told me later that there were more people at that talk than the bishop had two weeks earlier. And I said, you know, it's not because they knew me. It had nothing to do with me. It was because grief. It was because people don't know what to do with grief. And we need some help. We need someone to fill in. The only reason is I have a, a cough problem that we're trying to take care of, so I don't want to get my voice out there. Can you hear me now? Thank you. Right there. You want me to move it up there? How's that? Is that better? So with that, I'm reminded of a story. I heard it a long time ago, and you've probably heard it. There was a little boy sleeping, and it was a thunderstorm. And he got very frightened in the middle of the night, and he yelled out to his mom. And his mom responded from the bedroom, um, it's OK. God is with you. And he yelled back, I really need a God with skin on. And I, I never really forgot that. And when I put it in here to talk to you, I uh, thought of something that I had never thought of. The Eucharist is God with skin on. The Eucharist is God with skin on. Think of all the miracles that you have heard of about the Eucharist. And you, what happens? The Eucharist turns to flesh. The Eucharist is God with skin on. And that's how I'm going to try to pull the Eucharist into all of us here today. It doesn't matter what level of spirituality you are. It doesn't matter if you're just beginning. We're all going to grow in some way. And if you can walk out today saying, I know a little bit more, just a little bit more than what I knew when I walked in, then I've done my job. But am I bad again? 
a battery. Do you know, this happens to my pastor all the time, and I'm like, okay, let me run out there and get a new battery. So now here it is. Awesome. <laughs> um, first of all, I want to compliment you, because one thing that I learned is that evangelization and worship are intrinsically bound up. That means when you invite, like you have here, you invite the people, you now we've gathered, you've fed them, you've given them something to drink, your, your evangelization is, is phenomenal. And with that, you have to give them some place to go and worship, which is what you're doing today. We're all raising our hands and we're singing and we're gonna pray for healing. Uh, what a beautiful, beautiful way to show what evangelization really is. So know that what you're doing right here, it's not a matter of the, how many people are here. It's a matter of the word going out and it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. But first of all, I want you to think about, and we heard it all the time and we know it, what the body of Christ means. We are the body of Christ. But what I want you to do is to look around at the people that are here. They are your family. You are God's chosen family. So we have the family that's within this family formed by God, and then we have the family that you go home to at night. And how does all this work with the Eucharist? How does the Eucharist take care of us here, and how does the Eucharist take care of our families when we go home. So there's a scripture that I want to say here, and it's taken from John. It goes like this. I pray not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, it's evangelization, so that they may be all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me, and I have given to them, that's us, the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. That was very important to me for 20 some years because I knew that glory had something to do with this whole process. I just didn't know how to get there. It took a long time, many years to to figure out what that meant. So glory is very, very, very important. And even the Catholic Catechism even says something about that too. So normally, if I'd have known you had a PowerPoint, I would have did my PowerPoint up there so I didn't bring my work with me. So first of all, before I show you a symbol that's finished, I want you to see it step by step in your mind because in PowerPoint I would just put it in as I needed it. So I want you to imagine the host, the beautiful host. And I want you to put the word God at the top, and I want you to put either your name at the bottom, and for me, I'll say me. And I want you to see coming from God to you like arrows of fire, and it's grace. We don't have to do anything at all for that grace. God gives it to us because not only does he love us, but because we are the children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. So God has given us this beautiful, beautiful grace. 
And then I want you to see what happens. When you take that grace and you take it and you become more compassionate and you become more loving and you become more forgiving and you do every single thing of love that you can, you are returning to God glory. So it's a beautiful doxology, ancient doxology of blessing. God gives you grace, you give him glory. God gives him grace, you give him glory. And what happens, the beauty that happens is that the love of the Father fills you. Fills you, and it's almost like a, uh, I think of it like a nuclear reaction. It just keeps going around and going around, and the, and the beauty of God's love keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger because you cannot give what you do not have. So if we live this circle of blessing, then we are able to give to others from that abundance that we have. Now I'm gonna show you the full diagram because it needs to be a part of you. When I did this in uh, RCIA, a week later, one of the gentlemen said to me, you know, I've, had, I've got ADD. I can never focus. And he said, until you showed us that, he said, now when I go into the chapel, my mind's usually scattered, I say, okay, first I got the circle, I got the host, I got God, I got grace, I got me, I got glory. And he said, before long, all of my thoughts are settled down and beautiful. The Eucharist, the beauty of the Eucharist. So I'm gonna show you this, right? I can stretch over here. And this is what it looks like. Very simple. I only saw it for a brief, brief, brief moment a long, long time ago and knew what it meant. God gives you grace, you accept it, and you return to him in glory in the tough times of your life. Remember I said we had to understand Calvary to understand resurrection? Well, in the tough times in your life, how do you give glory back to God. How does the whole picture work so that this is happening all the time? So when I gave this the first time to class, this is so cool, you're gonna love it. When I gave this to the class the first time, and I'm looking out at everybody, and usually there's 40 or 50 people in the class, and you know, body language is real important. If you're going like this, or like, oh geez, I'm not real good, I'm not effective. I looked at this one gentleman in the back, and he's got his head down, and he's doodling, and I'm thinking, this is all going over his head, you know? It's just not going there. So the next class on Wednesday, this gentleman who was doodling, who I thought was not getting anything, came up with this. And the beauty that's going on here, he understood. We have Jesus, and we have grace coming to us like a vine, I am the vine, you are the branches. Beautiful. And then returning from me, from you, from you, we have glory, which is bittersweet and little thorns and tough. We have a, he even did a tombstone. You have to kind of die to surrender for all of this to work. And what does he put the Father's love in but a ciborium? And the beauty, can you see, I know there's probably a reflection. Grace and glory at its best. 
And it also taught me I'll never um, think of body language and kind of try to decide on what's happening. So when we're finished, you can look at this because it truly is a treasure. Um, someday I asked him, I said, I really, I got a book half written and I said, do you think I could use this? <laughs> so give me permission to do that. And he said, yes. So you're welcome to look at that because it is a, truly a gift. Now, one more thing here. See, I'm a good teacher, I have lots of props. I knew that when I went to classes at the seminary, anytime they used a prop, I remembered forever. So uh, I had to look around this morning, take care of my husband, who when I gave him his breakfast this morning, I said, now don't, because he says, arms all like this. I said, now just call me, I'll come and get it. Well, he does it, and he spills it all over. That was another thing, I had to clean it all up. So I said, okay, Lord, I can do this. We're gonna go, we're gonna do this. All right. The Eucharist, we know, is the center of our life. So what happens to us, and it happened to me, what happens when we turn away from God? And some of you will say, well, I never turned away from God. I did. And I'm gonna tell you how I did. It goes like this. This is what happens. We turn away from God when we sin. We turn away from God when we have terrible times of grief in our lives. When I've lost my child. God, why did you do that? We have men for sure, and I know women share this as head of the households. We've lost our job. We have no money. Lord, why did this happen? And what happens is what the Catholic Catechism explains um, in number 705. It's like this. When we turn away from God, the Catholic Catechism says, when we sin, or when we have these sadnesses, or when all this happens in our life, and we've turned away from God, the image becomes um, disfigured. You remain of the image, right? You remain of the image, because God has still given you grace, but you're deprived of glory. You're deprived of glory. And doesn't it make sense? We turn away from God, and then what happens? You're not giving glory to God. You're too involved in our sadness. However, you know, that, those are our humanness. Uh, we are human, all of those things are gonna happen. But when God is a part of that healing process, then this can still give glory, as bittersweet and hard as it is. But when we do this, then what happens? We become bitter. Have you met people like that? I was like that. When, you, when you're at this point, you're bitter, you're angry, you're distraught, um, you look like this. I used to, Father used to say, Jan, would you just smile once a day? You know, just one time a day. I understand that because I was there. And when that happens, this image becomes not full. And then the love of the Father just pours out and you're not giving glory to anyone. And the only way for this to change is through your free will, reconciliation, conversion. When that changes, then this whole beautiful cycle of life and the love of the Father and the Eucharist begins to grow and mature. Now, what happens, this is a question that I ask myself, what happens if you have turned away from God, 
and he's given you grace, where does that grace go when you go, I don't want any? Does it go like in the ground and that's what makes holy ground? No. Ground is holy because of just God made it for us. I believe that the grace that we say no returns back to the sender. And do I believe that God even mourns that it's returned to him? I do. And I have a strong devotion to the Blessed Mother and I'm like, you know, Mary, please intercede for me. When that grace is going back there to the source of love, intercede for me and say, oh, Jan, she's not so bad. She's just a little ditzy today or whatever. She's, don't, don't be so hard on her. All of that returns to God. And the book that made me really think about this, you remember that real little book, The Prayer of Jabez? It was not a Catholic book, but it was a Christian book. And I read it. And at one point, they talk about opportunities of grace. God is pouring opportunities of grace out. And we're going, oh, I'm not ready for it, don't want it. And it returns back to God, to the source. And then they say in the book, when we die and we are before the Lord and we receive this box, it's white with red ribbon, which made me think of divine mercy. We're gonna open it up and see all the times and opportunities of grace that we didn't take, that we didn't welcome. When I die, I don't want that box to be so filled that um, I, I realize how much I could have had. So when we turn away from God, and when all that bitterness is there, it's our brothers and sisters that are like here today, our brothers and sisters of the homes that we go home to. It's those family members that help us in this tough times of life. So here's something that I do at Holy Spirit. I'm someone who never asks for permission. <laughs> I always ask for forgiveness. And so far, I've been doing okay. There's only a couple times that I got no, but I just trust the Spirit and I do it. So, when I was at that spot that I showed you, I created a sentence. I made it very awkward. And the sentence that I made for my healing was, Holy Spirit, give me your key to my now. Meaning, give me your wisdom to what I'm doing right now. I cannot fix all the problems I had in the past. I have no idea what the future is but I would like, please Jesus, help me with my right now. So Holy Spirit, give me your key to my now. And it worked, it took many years. I said it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times a day, but it worked. And someday it'll be the title of my book if I ever get my act together. But here's what I've learned. Whenever I have people in my office that are in crisis, I listen, we talk, and then I say, okay, Jesus is walking in that door right now. How would you address him? And they say, Jesus or Lord or whatever. And I have three sheets of paper, three little things of paper. And I say, okay, Jesus. And what are you gonna say to him? And that's when they, they look into their heart and say, you have one sentence, that's it. So they come up with a sentence, it could be, um, through the years it's been, Lord, help me to love myself. Help me to love my family. 
all different reasons for our tough times. And then you know what I do? I fold it up and I give them one and I say, put this on your refrigerator and have everybody say it. Have everyone join with you with your, your request to Jesus. And I said, and the other one I'm gonna keep and I'm gonna pray for you for exactly what you're asking for. And then I want you to come with me. And we go into the church and it's kind of dark. We go up to the altar and there's the altar cloth. And I say, here, this is what I want you to do. Let's fold it up and you hide it right underneath that altar cloth. And know this, I'll be the, it'll be there as long as it's supposed to, but know this, it is impossible for the body and blood of Christ to be changed on this altar and not affect what you're asking for. And they always sob. Oh, they, I'm crying, they're crying every time I've done it. Now, I don't do it often because we start to have a mound on top of the altar and I get in a lot of trouble. But one time I noticed when I changed the altar cloth, even Father had put someone's intention under there for the beauty of that. One day I was in my office and I got a call from someone who said, my next door neighbor is not Catholic. She is not, I don't even know if she's Christian, she's a, a good friend. She's a Las Vegas showgirl and she is in so much crisis, I don't know what to do, she needs to talk to somebody. So I said, bring her in. He said, but you don't understand. She, what she did is she went and had her lips made bigger, you know, like Angelina Jolie kind of thing, big lips, and she, they didn't do a good job. So she's hiding. She has the darkness in her house, um, the she won't work. It's terrible. I said, you just send her in. So what I did is I went into the office and I said, okay, everybody, we're going to close the drapes. We're going to just put out a couple lights and we're going to let this lady come in and be comfortable. And when she came into my office, I put the lights down. I had a lamp. And I just waited for her. And when this woman walked in the door, oh my God, she was beautiful. I'm thinking if I had one-tenth of what you had, I would be skipping around. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I mean, her lips were a little large, but she was beautiful. And I thought, that's not the problem here. This, that's not the problem. So we sat and we talked for a long time. And I listened and I listened and I listened. And then what did I do? I got ready for my little prayer for Jesus coming in the door. And I said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Jesus is walking in the door. How do you address him? She said, Jesus. I said, okay, good. Now, you have one sentence, one. And you look at him, and what do you want to say? And she says, Jesus, fix my lips. <laughs> I don't know where this holy boldness came from. I smashed, I went just like this on my desk, and I said, if you think I'm going to join with you in prayer for your lips to be fixed, what is it you really want to ask him? And she looked at me and she began to sob and she said, forgive me for my abortion. So now we talked about that. And when she left, the lights went on. And she didn't have to put the sunglasses on. I've never met her again. But I do know that Jesus walked in that door that day. And he was there for her. And she saw him and the healing. So here's something you can do. 
because I don't think that Father would actually like to have you going up to the altar and putting things up there. So here's what I do all my life. <laughs> here's what I do all my life. When I'm walking up to communion, I take my hand and I first clean it just like this. You'll see me doing that. I'm sorry for me. I'm sorry for all that I've done wrong. I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. And then when I've got that done, I place the people in my hand that I have concerned with. It's not a quantity. I only have so much space. It's a quality. And this is the person I'm having difficulty with. This is the person who has cancer. This is my family member who, you know, needs to stop drinking. This is this, this is, and I get all ready, and I go up to communion, and when Father or the, or the minister places that host just like on the altar, when he places that host in my hand, I can give them up. I have seen miracles with people that I have never even, in my wildest dreams, could I possibly have fixed a relationship. It was like impossible. And I gave it up to God. It took a long time for me putting that there. And Father knows my little story. So sometimes when I go up there and I really have a problem, I'll go right there. <laughs> I'm really in trouble. And my friend said to me, she said, well, Jan, I, I received communion on my tongue. I said, that's beautiful. I said, the only reason I don't is because I think I sin more with my tongue and my speech and what I say and what I don't say than my hands who I hope are always reaching out. So if you're comfortable with receiving the communion on your tongue, then you come up with some way of saying, okay, Lord, right on my tongue right now, I place them. I place them there for you because I can't fix them and I don't know what to do. So I'd like to share with you my truth of the Eucharist and family. Now here's this little testimony I've been keeping under wraps for a long time. I was Catholic, raised Catholic, went to Catholic school, went to Catholic high school, got married, two children, good mom, mass and church were kind of somewhere down on that list. I did not know that I had a God with skin on. I just knew there was a mass, I knew there was a Eucharist, I understood what it was, but my uh, focus was not there, okay, it was with my family and raising them. So I do understand where young people are a lot. But what bothers me is that I didn't know that I had a God with skin on. So here I am going through this life, maybe going to mass with my children maybe once a month. And <clears throat> I was about 36, 39, and I started to um, open a business. Am I losing it again? Okay. I opened a business and I am someone who should never do that because I cannot handle money. It was a um, interior design and um, antiques and I took all of our money from the house, all of our savings, and I put it all into this business. And here's what I would do. Someone would come up and say, oh gee, this is an antique bottle, I just love it. And I'd say, okay, I know I bought it for $15, I know that. And they say, oh, it's so nice. They say, oh, you can have it for five. <laughs> or I would buy it for 15, sell it for 30, and then on the way home, take the $15 and buy groceries. So you can't do a business like that. So what happened to me was I lost it. 
and I lost every single thing we had, all the money, everything. And the depression that I went through was so severe that I lost like 50 pounds. I, you know, when mom's miserable in the house, everybody's miserable in the house. You know that. So one day my husband says to me, why don't you go talk to Father Leo? Why don't you talk to him? And I'm like, I don't even know him. You know, I'm, no, I'm not doing that. Well, a couple days I reconsidered, made the appointment, and I went there. So now here I am face to face with him. I'm like, oh, what am I into? And I start to spill my soul of, you know, what I've, what I did to my family, this guilt, you know, and, and how awful I felt. And um, at the end, because you know how body language is, we talked about this, he could tell from me I wasn't getting it. I knew that now. And uh, he says to me, okay, now you're going to close your eyes and I'm going to pray over you, which is a new concept for me because I never knew anything about that. He said, just close your eyes. So I did one of these. Okay. But I peeked, okay, to see what was going on. And I look over and he's praying like this. And you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, this man is crazy. What have I gotten myself into? I am here in depression and he's praying, all this stuff's going on. And he kind of knew from the body language, I mean, I'm not getting this. So he says to me when he's done, he says, you know, sometimes these things take a little time. And I said, okay, I'm out of here. I couldn't wait to get out of there. But I feel like there was this little cloud of the Holy Spirit. I want to say a massive cloud following me. All right, now I go home. I'm making dinner for my family. And I have this tremendous fatigue. So I lie down on the couch and I begin in a second to sob from the bottom of my toes. I sobbed and I cried and I cried and I cried. And God, you know that cloud that was up there? It was like Paul being thrown off his horse. I mean, what I heard and what I experienced, um, it was just absolutely, I call it cookies, all right? You know how you like cookies. Imagine chocolate chip, warm cookies right from the oven. Good. I was absolutely positively filled. So I say to myself, you know what? Why, God, did you do this to me? All right, because there's responsibility when that happens to you. There's a responsibility to share what God in his abundance has given to you. So I came up with a formula. Let's see if this makes sense to you. If there were 100 people in this room, why is it if a virus came, like the H1N1 we had a couple years ago, and that, that virus went over, why is it that 95 people would be fine? and five of them would get deathly ill and sick and die. The answer is resistance. They had no resistance, those five, so it took over. It's the same thing with God. If there are 100 people in a room and the Holy Spirit is literally pouring out his spirit to these 100 people, he's just pouring it out. Why is it that 95 don't get it and five are filled? And the answer is resistance. They had no resistance. I had absolutely no resistance. So it wasn't that I was special. It wasn't that, it had nothing to do with it except that I had dumped my cup, 
on that couch so tremendously that God filled it with so much for me. So the testimony I'm about to give, don't think of me as special or anything. It's just the grace of God and someone who was open. That moment on that couch, I had a fire in me that was literally a fire. And I, it was, whenever I'd say the name Jesus, a fire would just get strong. And I was trying to figure out, how does this all work? My God, this is, I make the sign of the cross. And the fire would just become stronger. I would pick up my Bible in the morning and it would feel hot to me. And I'd open it up and I'd go to a scripture and then I would close it and I would write about what I felt and what I saw. And I went to two masses a day. I didn't tell my pastor for a long time. I would go into Holly and then I would leave Holly and I'd come to Holy Spirit because I couldn't get enough of the Eucharist. I couldn't get enough of the Bible. I read it from cover to cover. I did all of this. It took a long time. Many, 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 many months. Do I have to do it again? Wake up. Is that good? In fact, one night, the fire was so strong, I woke up and I said to my husband, you have to take me to the emergency room because I'm having a heart attack. So we got into the car, we went to the emergency room, and this fire is just like, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they put um, my blood pressure on, and it's just fine. And then they gave the EKG, and it was just fine. So I say that it cost me $400, because we didn't have any money then, $400 to find out I had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And then I, I was, it was unbelievable. And then I fell into St. John of the Cross, and I went, that's the fire you're talking about. That's the fire. So I had a steady, steady, steady diet of cookies. Tons of them. And then something happened one day. I woke up, and the fire was gone. Totally. Now I know that that's the dark night of soul. I didn't know what that meant. All I know is that I didn't have any cookies. God was gone. My life, it was abandoned by him. Why would he do this to me? Because I was immature. I didn't, I didn't know how to deal with this. So what I did is, all the ministries that I got involved with when the fire was full, I took communion to three families, um, homebound. Um, I did every single thing I could do in ministry. And in a couple of months of this abandonment, I stopped it all. Just like a spoiled kid who didn't get enough sugar. I stopped it all. I stopped going to the houses. I stopped reading the Bible. I stopped everything. And uh, it lasted for a long time, a lot, a lot, a lot of pain. And then one morning, I wake up, and I kind of have a desire for the Bible. So I pick it up, and I went, oh, this is new. Where have you been, God? And I open it up to Luke. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Only say the word, and my servant shall be healed. And you know what I say? I say, Lord, I can't even say the Our Father. How do you expect me to understand this or to write about it? It's not going to happen today. And there it is in the morning. Close the Bible. 
and in five minutes the phone rings. Does anybody remember Ken Verla? Did you ever meet him? Ken Verla, did you ever meet him? Wonderful, wonderful man, mentor. I'm losing it. Mentor for me. He calls me and he says, Jan, I'm going to pick you up in five minutes and we're going to the church in, in uh, St. John's in Hartman, I think that is, or Howell. And I say to him, I can't go. Number one, haven't had a shower. Number two, my hair is standing straight up. Number three, I look like a scullery maid. Have you ever heard that term? A scullery maid is like, you know, someone who cleans the ship floor and she's all dirty and her name is a scullery maid. My family used to use that term. So he says to me, I'm picking you up and we're going. In five minutes, put a hat on. So I put a hat on and off we went. And I'm thinking, maybe they'll serve cookies today. <laughs> maybe this is it. Maybe this is the time, you know? So we go to Mass, and we have a beautiful Mass, and nothing happens. So we're driving home, and he says, you know what, Jan? Those three families that you took communion to, they miss you. Why don't we stop and bring communion to them? And I said, would, would you look at me? I'm not Chloe mate, what is wrong with you? So I say, okay. So we go to the first house. Hi, it's Jan, your scullery maid here. <laughs> and we laughed and we shared conversation and we had communion, all three houses. And on the way home, I'm thinking, okay, where are the cookies? What, what, when's it gonna start again? Nothing, nothing. So we're driving in my driveway and my good little mentor says, okay, here's what we're gonna do. Because he was so concerned. I'm picking you and your husband up at, at 6.30, and we're going to St. John's in Hartland. And there's a guest speaker there, Dr. Marge Roberts. Have you ever heard her? Fabulous, fabulous woman. So I say, fine, I'll clean up this time. So we get all looking good, and we came a little bit early. And you know how you were setting up today? I love to do that. When it comes to how do I make your sound, I'll plug ins and all that kind of stuff. So I'm watching all this going on before the prayer meeting. And um, I do this. Because now remember, I am abandoned. Okay? I feel abandoned. So I look up at the cross like this and I say, okay, God. I need something from you, big time. I want you to quote that scripture you gave me this morning and the speech. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. It would be kind of like if your children came up to you and said, Mom and Dad, I am desperate. Would you say to them, don't talk to me like that? No. You'd say, what do I got to do to help you? So I said what I had to say. And then I sat down and I waited. And the prayer group starts just like this, singing and everyone's singing, it's so beautiful. And I'm thinking, okay, when's it gonna happen? Where's Luke? Gospel of Luke. And somebody would walk up and say, here's scripture from Matthew or Acts or wherever. And nobody quoted that. And then now it was time for Dr. Marge Roberts. And do you know what her subject for the evening was? The seven last words of Jesus on the cross. 
So now there goes my scripture, right? I said, well, there you go, Lord. You're not going to be able to pull that in. That happened when Jesus was walking on the earth. It didn't happen on the cross, but I sat there. And now I listen to her, and she says, all right, from the Gospel of Matthew. And she begins to talk about and quote the words of Jesus. Then she says, then the Gospel of Mark. And I'm listening. And all of a sudden she says, and from the Gospel of Luke. And she stops. And she says, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only say the word, and my soul, my servant, shall be healed. And then she stops, and she says, that's what he said when he was on the earth, and now when he's on the cross, and she goes on, and I'm in the back. There's like a river around me. My husband's like, what is wrong? Ken's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh my God, I can't, I could barely handle the goodness of that moment. And when it was all over, they said, you have to go tell her. You have to go to Marge Roberts and tell her what, what happened. So now there were lines of people. There were lines for Marge Roberts because everybody wanted to go to her. And then there were lines for other people praying over you. And I thought, well, I'm going to Marge Roberts. She's the one that was a part of this. And I had a whole platter full of cookies. I could wait all night. So I'm standing there and I'm waiting and I work my way up to her line and to her and I briefly as quickly as I could I said I came here abandoned and in despair and I begged God to quote a scripture and she said which one was it and I said Lord I am not worthy and she stopped me cold and she said I did not want to say that she said, I struggled, which seemed like an eternity to me. And finally, I said, you know what, Lord? Somebody's got to hear this. So I'm going to use it. I'm going to say it. So now she's crying because she was an instrument of God. I'm crying because I am just like filled with cookies, right? Great. And she puts her hands over my head and she says, you are not my scullery maid. You are not my scullery maid. Now, she said some other personal things there that don't matter. I'd rather you hear the discipline here <laughs> than the goodness. I, of course, rested in the spirit. And also, you know when the spirit's working, all the other teams stopped. They came over. And we all prayed. And uh, Marge Roberts said to me later, what's a scullery maid? <laughs> She didn't know. But it taught me something very, very, very crucial. When I walked into those homes, those three homes, with the Eucharist, with God with skin on, to the people who are suffering in illness, that Jesus was there. It had nothing to do with me. I was the instrument. Jesus was there with skin on for those people. And from that moment on, my whole life went around 
the Eucharist and what it means. Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Only say the word and my servant will be healed. Think of that every time you walk up to communion and you hear that. When I was so filled with the Holy Spirit and in those early days, I would go up to Father and say in sacristy, Father, did you know that there are parts of the Mass that are right out of this Bible? <laughs> and God loved him. He would look at me and say, it, it does? Isn't that awesome? All those beautiful words from our scripture in the Mass that sometimes we aren't taking as deeply a look as we should. What a beautiful truth for me. The Eucharist. It means to give thanks. Whoops. It means to give thanks, which is what you're doing here. And what I want to end with here is this. We are family formed by God. And the Eucharist brings you the strength, it takes our weaknesses and makes them strong. But you're not just a community gathered here. You are family. And then think of the family that you have at home, the God-given beautiful life that God gave to you and your mother gave to you and her mother and father, that that same Eucharist that heals here heals there. The same God with skin is here in this room and he's also in my house. And do I act like that? Do I act like the love of God every day? Oh no. But then I'm human, right? We pick ourselves up and we try again. One time, anybody here take communion to the hospital? Great, isn't it great? And you know that when you're finished, the Eucharist that you have left, you're supposed to consume. Well, I came home one day and I'm like, Jesus, I can't consume this. Yeah, I just want to adore you. I just, I put a little candle on the mantle and I said, okay, I'm going to pray before I consume this host. And I just was killing me to do this. And then when I went up to that pix and I opened it up, to consume that host and did, I felt in my heart become living bread. We've all had the Eucharist, maybe today, maybe for sure yesterday. How do we go into this family formed by God and become living bread? How do we go to our schools and become living bread and take the injustices that happen and turn them around? Take the bullying that happens and stop it. It's not just your strength, it's the strength of the Eucharist within you. It's the strength within you. Now we have an adoration chapel. It took me 10, 11, 12 years of conferences and learning and we were waiting for the money too, but it was a way to get the people um, ready to commit. You know, we're a society that doesn't want to sign up for anything. We go to doctor's offices, but we don't want to commit to anything else. Or maybe we're overcommitted. 
So it took a long time to get them to be used to that. Over 500 people are signed up. So there's someone there every hour of the day, every holiday, except for Holy Thursday and the Tritium. But it took a long time to do that. But that's the bread that's broken. And when you come to our chapel, you'll see it's a large host. And Father, you know that it has the lines where you can break. We have that with gold shooting out like into the neighborhood. Bread that is broken for everybody. Bread that is broken. So in closing, I don't know if I've talked to you. Oh, I did talk a long time. Okay, I had to get this out. All right, I made a poem because I love to write. Remember I said I was writing with the Holy Spirit? I said, okay, how do I understand this whole thing? So I'm going to close with that. I'm going to stop after every verse and relate it to you and to refresh me. And it's called Life's Journey. As we travel along life's journey, it's important to stop and reflect on where we've been, right? That's our, I mean, not to dwell on that reality, not to dwell and be stuck there, but to look where we've been, look what mistakes we've made, that we can be better, whatever that is. Look where we've been. Not so much to dwell on that reality, rather to allow God's gift of life to be for us his vision. What does God want for you? What does he want for me? Every time I think I know what it is, it's like, be content in the state that you are right now. I will take care of you. Be content where you are. We are pruned, you know what that means? Pruned and shaped to allow that vision to mature, a sometimes very painful process. Very painful. But God does not keep us in darkness as we search our cure. Instead, produces light, the spirit of his goodness. Those who seek the light are merely covering their eyes. The light is in them now. You are the living bread. That Eucharist that we feed on, that nourishes us, is that light within us that we, if we do it right, which is hard to do, if we do it right and we give him glory, then that bread is so abundant, so abundant that you can give it to everyone. I'm grateful to have the, the time to share that little scullery made with you and to know that it wasn't right to do it earlier in these 20 years. There's a timing, there's a place, there's a person. So my young men that are here, when you go back to school, change. You know, let, let them look at you and say, well, what's so different about you? So my family used to say to me, well, are you guys going to a spa? How come you look so happy? How come you look so good? Well, because I've got Jesus in me. I have so much of him. I want to give him to you. So we're going to close. At least I am. And I don't know what you have next. But um, I thank you for the invitation to understand 
to share my understanding of the Eucharist and to share my understanding of family and the family formed by God right here. So may we be bread that is broken in a mighty way. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This is Larry Yelnick. I hope that you will follow Encounter Jesus within us. It helps get this out to the world so that people can know our church. Thank you very much.